Do you notice how easy it is for us to get out of control? All I need is a side glance. All I need is just somebody not paying attention to me. All I need is, well, I don't need much, do I? And immediately, it, uh, it tends to depress me. Uh, I wonder what I did, because I, I think guilt is the greatest thing we have within us. Whenever somebody looks at me wrong, they're probably not even looking at me. Do you understand? Have you ever thought of something and your face gets different and it changes? Well, who's standing in front of you thinks it's all for them? And it's really a picture in your mind, a situation in your mind, uh, something you're going through, and you pick it up. But I have to tell you today that that is the most important thing about a Christian. We have got to look to Jesus. It is, it's so urgent to see him. That's why when we say to you, read your Bible, that's why when we say pray, that's why when we insist on quiet times, times when you put everything aside, people say to me, oh, I have my quiet time on the train. Oh, I have my quiet time in the car. Oh, I have my quiet, no, 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 no. If you're doing something else while you're doing quiet time, you're not doing quiet time. I just want you to know that. It's quite different with prayer. You can pray standing in front of someone and they don't even know you're praying. That, that, that you can do. There, there is an ability to do that. You can ask God to change a heart. You can ask God to soften a heart. You can ask God to move on a heart. You can, you can stand right there and just, just have that prayer going up through your heart and your mind. Uh, and you know God is hearing it. So there's no problem with that. But when it's quiet time, that's a whole different ball game, folks. That's a time when you let nothing and no one interfere with your silence and God. And it's the hardest time in the world. But there comes a moment when it's okay. There comes a moment when it's so refreshing. There comes a moment when you look for it. There comes a moment where you're dead tired. You're ready to hit the sack. The pillow looks delicious. The bed almost heavenly. But then all of a sudden you say, I haven't had my quiet time. And you just kind of pick yourself up. Maybe a Kleenex or two and you walk out to the living room. And you sit there. The next 15 minutes, 20, 25, half hour, hour, just belongs to him. And you don't do a thing. Sister Amy, what do you mean quiet time? I don't understand that. You just sit there, think about God, and only do one thing, love him, nothing else. You're not asking for anything. You're not pitching for anything. You're not praying for anyone. You're not asking. There's nothing. Just, Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you. It's you letting the Lord know that you just have to. You just have to sit there in quietness. And let me tell you something. He will fill your soul to overflowing. And that's, that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. Uh, I have a comparison that's so weak and so carnal. But it's so real. And maybe you'll understand that better than I can. When you're in love... And you are sitting in the arms of your lover. I'm talking about just, uh, I, I, won't, I won't get sexy on you. Just sitting in a nice sofa with this hand around you. And all of a sudden there are words that aren't being spoken. You belong to me and I belong to you. And I'll, I'll do my best to take care of you. He'll do his best to take. There is a sense of quietness. 
there is a sense of ownership. And you say, oh, sister, but, but that's one situation. That, no, 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 no. You see, there's nothing you can't, there's nothing you can learn spiritually which you can't associate with. Association is such an important part of human learning. I, I think it might include the beauty of a newborn baby. Tiny, tiny baby with its soft flesh. When you put it up to your chest, it purrs. I think that, that's, that's a sense of what I'm trying to say to you to say. We've got to get to know him. And I often say this, and many people don't like it, but I have to say it. Everyone else will fail you. The Bible says your mother and your father will fail you. Isn't that interesting? Si tu madre y tu padre te dejare, Jehová con todo te recogerá. If your mother and dad fail you, God will never fail you. He will pick you up. When all human sustenance fails, God says, I'm there for you. And you know, that, that is super. That is super because our human dependency drops. Because you've got a super spiritual dependency, which literally fills your soul. So everything else is in addition. Everything else is añadidura. Ñapa. Just a little extra. But just to know. And it's important. It's important. You see, that's the relationship God wants to have. People think that God wants a, a religious relationship where you come into church and you follow the traditions of the church and you follow the workings of the church and you're, and you're a church robot and you know just what, what to do and where to go and how it operates and up the hands and down the hands and clap the hands and, and put them together. And yeah, hey, we can learn all of that that we want to. But lest we learn to look into his face and say, I love you, Jesus. You say, Sister Amy, but what, what if you feel guilty about life and you feel guilty about the things you're doing and you haven't been able to straighten out a lot of things that have to be straightened out? Well, how can you have that peace? How can you have that? Hey, let me tell you something. When you come to God, you don't come in your name because if you came in your name, you couldn't move. You come in the name of Jesus. And his name gives you power, gives you authority, it gives you entrance. Where God would normally reject you because you're looking into his face and because you're living under his covering, God says, come here, whatever you want, I'll give you. Now that's not, that's not, that's not, uh, there is no stupidity in God. He's not Santa Claus. He's not the good fairy. Certainly he's not the tooth fairy. But what you need he will see to it that you get it in his divine will and time. Bless his holy name. And now that I've gotten through with that, let me tell you, when we look at Jesus, we have to look at him in a very practical way. And this is the way. Look to him for help. Anybody here need help? Anybody here need help? You need help? I do too. Well, listen, he's the best help agency you have ever dreamed about. Matter of fact, you don't even have to yell help. You yell it in here. You know what I mean? You yell it in your heart where words aren't heard, but the scream inside is saying, help me. And he helps. 
And let me tell you why. Because wherever there's a need, as normal as the need might be, he's there to help. I often think of the visit to Peter's house. And when they get to Peter's house, his mother-in-law is very sick. Matter of fact, she's got one of those viruses that we get in the winter. And I don't know if you've had one this year, but it lasts about 12 weeks. They used to come and go. Now they come, they go, come back. And she had one of those tremendous viruses, and she was laid out. And the scripture says that her fever was running very high. You know what it is to walk into a house where somebody's sick, and especially the mainstay of the house, the one that'll give you the cold glass of water, the one that'll serve you the cup of coffee, the one that'll give you a nice meal, the one that says, come into my living room, sit down, be welcome. And Peter says, well, we can't stay long. My mother-in-law's real sick. She's in the bedroom there. She can't even get out of bed. I mean, hey, this house has been struck. And Jesus says, where is she? And he says, well, she's over here in her bedroom. Let's go see her. And Jesus walks in with Peter. He looks at Peter's mother-in-law, takes her by the hand, and he rebukes the fever. And he heals her body. And she's laying there totally healed. And she says, wait a minute, I can get up. I feel better. I'm healed. And the scripture says that she got up and told everybody, just sit down, wait a minute. Let me get out of these bedclothes. Let me just get myself ready. I'll prepare you the best meal you've ever had. And they had the best meal they ever had at Peter's uh, mother-in-law's house. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that marvelous? A simple help. A simple help. Some people are waiting for God to heal the most notorious of illnesses. God's still in the business of taking away headaches. He's still in the business of healing fevers. He's still in the business of lifting you up from a virus. God can do it. God can do it. He says he can do it and he will. It's just, he just wants to help you. I love that. I love that. You say this next case I'm going to give you isn't so much help. Hey, yes it is. It's four friends that have a friend that's very sick. Matter of fact, he's so sick he can't walk. He's got a form of palsy. And the friends go to the house and they, they feel so bad because you see, with this fellow, they played ball. With this fellow, they went fishing. With this fellow, they went camping. And now, hey, the old gang's been broken up because this guy's in bed. He's so sick. One of the fellows say, hey, what about that master that's walking around healing everybody? Wouldn't he do a job on this, our friend? And one of the other fellows says, do you believe it? He says, why not? And they go on to testify what they've heard, what he's done, what happened on this road, what happened on that road. And finally, the fourth friend says, hey, what are we waiting for? Let's wrap him up. And I can see the fellow there, you know, hey, he hasn't moved in a year and a half. And all of a sudden, these people are packing him up and getting him ready for a trip. And he's looking at his friends saying, no, 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 no. We know someone. Some call him Messiah. Some call him Master. We're going to take you to him. Really? I've heard about him. But but, but, but what are you going to do? Nothing. Just stay still. Be careful. Up they go with their little, you know, stretcher. And off they go. And they come to the house where Jesus is. And it's so crowded they can't get in. And I tell you the little story about the children that say, but couldn't they see he had a stretcher? They were so mean they didn't let him in. 
Then I have to explain to the kids my own made-up story. There were ten stretches ahead of him. <laughs> There's no way he can explain that to kids. I says, well, they didn't know how to get in, so they decided to hit the roof, and they did. Then there's a kind of a funny part about that, because I imagine them trying to get him up and him almost sliding off the stretcher. I mean, they'd kill the patient before they got him to Jesus. They can be very comical, but they're up there. And it's one of these, one of these roofs, you know, where you have these clay pods, one right after the other, and, and they start to take them off, and they open it, and there they are in the middle of the living room. And Jesus looks up, and they can't believe what they're seeing. What, what, what's going on up there? The owner of the house says, I don't know, but it's my roof. <laughs> and finally they open it wide enough to put this thing. And down comes this stretcher. <laughs> and Jesus, as it's coming down, he looks at the man and he says, My son, thy sins are forgiven. Can you hear the four friends upstairs? That's not what we brought him for. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we want, hey? We want you to heal him. And Jesus is saying, thy sins are forgiven for. We know that sin is the cause of illness. That's where it came in. When Adam and Eve sinned, our bodies were open to illness. And when Jesus looks at the man, not only are his sins forgiven, but he says, he looks up and one of the gospels says, he, he admired the faith of those four up there. That's, that's some friends, folks. That's some friends. And somehow or other, you know what I believe? They came down real quick. They took their friend and they went out with him. The only thing is they didn't need the stretcher. He was walking. He was running. They were saying, and they were hitting each other. Can you imagine friends saying, I told you we were working? No, I told you. What do you mean? It was my idea. And they're rushing down and there's a hole in the roof. And I can see Jesus saying to Judas, pay for the hole. Because we can't leave these people unhappy. I think Jesus fixed the roof. You see, he knows how to help. Think of little things. He can help you. Oh, sometimes we think of such big things. Major helps a good babysitter for a child that has to be taken care of. In a world where people have learned to hurt children instead of caring for them. He'll help you. He'll help you get the right one. He'll help you do the right thing. Oh, I love that. When you look at Jesus, please see a helper. One you can, you can trust. We can't do it, but he can. Now there's something else about Jesus that's so beautiful. When we see a lot of people, we get very scared. We look into faces and we divide the faces. The Spanish language is so rich for that. Ese, ni huele ni here. Isn't that awful? That one is neither coming nor going. Nothing. There's nothing. Nothing about him says nothing. That, that, that's the way we calculate people. Then we look at someone else. He said, oh, yes, that's a killer. Why? Because maybe his face is a little twisted and his mouth is down and he looks kind of. And sometimes that's just an appearance. So people will say, you know, they're trying to let the world know, get away from me. Don't bother me. Isn't it funny how you go down the street and you look at people? And, and have you ever played with a smile? You're not too sure you're going to, or you're not too sure you're not going to? You don't know if it'll be welcome. You don't know if it'll be returned. <clears throat> you, you don't know what's going to happen. Have you ever done that with your hand? You don't know whether to put it out or not to say hello. 
And when you get, put it out in nobody's hand, you put it back and you, you scratch your back and you do any kind of thing, you know. It's, it's amazing. There is nothing like the games that are played when we see one another. Isn't it funny? We're always casing the world out. We're always casing people out. Did she, first thing we say, what'd she look like? And we don't mean beautiful or ugly. What'd she look like? And then we say, what'd she sound like? And then we say, maybe. What'd she feel like? Why? Because we don't trust people. And the people that trust the least are because they can't trust themselves. Forgive me, folks. But we judge by ourselves. We are the greatest mirror in which we look. And when we look in that mirror, we see all our negative capacities. When we look at people, we lay these capacities on them. If we're a wheeler dealer, the whole world is wheeling and dealing. And the only thing you want to be is there long enough to find out what their angle is. Yeah. If you're a person that doesn't trust anybody, you're, well, 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 maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Ooh, well, look into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be. And then if you're really up and classy, you simply say, well, we'll talk about it later. Have your secretary call my secretary. We'll have lunch over it. They never see each other. Secretaries never call. They never have the lunch. Ooh, what's up? It's the way we see people. And one of the most important transformations in a Christian has got to be looking at Jesus so that we can get his eyes, so that we can see people through his eyes. Because our eyes are tainted. Our eyes are spoiled. Our eyes are prejudiced. Our eyes is not going to give anyone a break. Our eyes are dangerous. So we have to ask the Lord. We look to him and say, oh God, give me your eyes. You know what the Bible says about Jesus? And seeing the multitude, he had compassion upon them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, now, what does that mean? Sheep without a shepherd means little defenseless lambs without direction. Those lambs can go off a cliff. Those lambs can drown in a, in, in, in a pond. Those lambs can be swallowed up by a lion or smothered by a bear. Jesus looked at the multitude and had compassion. And he said there, they're like sheep without a shepherd. I've had the most beautiful experiences since I know Jesus and in dealing with people. The most beautiful experiences. Uh, you've got to realize I'm not a product of, but I live through the 60s. I was there for all the rabble-rousing and all the rebel-rousing uh, that uh, the Vietnam War produced and, and lots of other inquietudes, uh, lots of other feelings, inner feelings. Uh, I, w I was around when the Methodist Church on 111th Street was captured, and I was just around. Marlene was into it, weren't you? Yes, that's right. Hey, what can I tell you? What can I tell you? Each generation, each group, we are seeking 
But you know something? When Jesus comes into your heart, then all of a sudden you see people different. You see them with eyes of compassion. Some people would say, these kids, let's blow them out. Let's bomb them out. Let's fuse them out. Let's get some good tear gas and smoke them out. I like Jesus. I think he would have said, I'm going in. And the people would have said, don't go in. He said, yeah, I'm going in. I'm going to talk to the kids. And he would have. He would have sat down and he would have talked to them. Because you see, he did it in the land of Palestine. He spoke with Sadducees. He spoke with Pharisees. He spoke with groups of people. He spoke with farmers. Uh, He spoke with people that were just walking along the way. Whenever he was invited to a banquet, and all kinds of banquets. He went to a banquet that a publican served for him. He went to a banquet that a a, a rich Jew, a Pharisee served him. He went to a banquet that a neighborhood served him. He went to a banquet at the house of of another big publican, because there were two big publicans. And the first one was the one in, in the book of Matthew, but the second one, hey, it was the guy in the sycamore tree. Remember him? Zacchaeus. There he is up in the tree. You know why? Nobody would let him see Jesus. They gave him the elbow treatment. He was only, what, 4'11"? Says he was very small. They wouldn't let him see. So he ran ahead, jumped up on a sycamore tree, and he was watching Jesus. Can you see Zacchaeus looking at Jesus? What kind of sandals is he wearing? Are mine better? And he found out that he wore good sandals. No problems. Then he looked at his robe. Woo, seamless robe. This man just ain't no one. Look at him. He's well-groomed. He's well-combed. He's got, he's got like the wind in his face. He's got like stars in his eyes. He's got a look that I've never seen before. Who is this man? The man turns around and looks up and he says, Oh, Zacchaeus, I'm going to have lunch with you today. I think he almost fell out of the sycamore tree. I really do. He says, My house? And then somebody else says, He's a sinner. And Jesus gave the answer a couple of weeks before that. I've come to seek and to save those that are lost. That's what I've come to do. So what can I tell you? Jesus. Oh, I love him. You know what I like about Jesus? He wasn't afraid of anyone. He wasn't afraid of Pilate. He wasn't afraid of the Jewish Sanhedrin. He wasn't afraid of no one. He wasn't afraid of anyone. When the demon possessed would like come out of the sea, out of the graveyards, roaring like lions, and come before him, oh. He could see past the possession till he spotted a soul in deep need of compassion. And he would set them free. And there was one fellow that got so close, just sat at his feet. Matter of fact, he had to borrow some clothes because they were naked. They took the robe of one of the disciples, wrapped it around him. And he stood there and Jesus said to his disciples, now let's go. And he looks at Jesus. He says, I'm going with you. I'm never going to leave you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Please, I, can, I, I don't want to go anyplace else. I just want to be with you. Ah. That's why sometimes, folks, as Christians... You'll get friends that want to get very close to you. You know why? Because you got the goods. You know why? You got a word of compassion. You got eyes of love. You've got hands of tenderness. It doesn't mean you're feeding them. It doesn't mean you're giving everything to them. It doesn't mean that. It means there are ears that will listen. There are eyes that will see. There's a compassion that comes out of you that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your master, Jesus. And people sense it. 
Oh, they won't say it. They won't say, oh, she's a good Christian. They won't say that. They'll say, listen, there's something about that gentleman that is so moving. There's something about that gentleman. He really cares. He really cares. And that is so beautiful. Because when you look to Jesus, first of all, he'll be your helper. Second of all, from him we learn compassion. We learn to care from Jesus. You say, oh, I cared. Yes, certainly you cared. You cared for yourself. You cared for your family. You cared for your surroundings. You cared for whatever was tied to you in some way. That's the way you cared. We all did. But when it comes to the compassion of Jesus, it makes no difference. You will care. You will care. And I thank the Lord for that. So in Jesus we have help, and in Jesus we have companion, com compassion, and a companion. Yes, let me make that clear. And a companion. And you know what else we have in Jesus? We've got power. Now that's a delicate word, because everybody seems to want power. I often think of sixth grade. I was head monitor. Think of this. Wore a little silver badge over here. P.S. 30, Brook Avenue, 141st Street. And it was in those days, here I go again, dating myself, when kids didn't run through a school, where you, ran, where you walked and marched along the walls, and the teachers stood out, and they were the ones in the middle there watching the lines go by. But on the stairwell, they had head monitors. I was a head monitor. Mm. And I watched people go by. And you know something? It was interesting. If somebody had to get out of line because they were taking a message, if somebody had to get out of line because they had a bathroom emergency, only I could let them go through. Now, that was powerful. More people went through than should have gone through. There were more emergencies than I ever saw in my life. But that's okay. It was still my order that got them through. There was a sense of power. And it was an exciting sense. Because when you're 11 years old, to be in charge of anything is big. You know, when you get home, you're in charge of nothing. <laughs> Everybody's in charge of you. Mother used to go to school when the teacher called her. And the first thing she used to do is shake me up. And then she'd tell the teacher, whenever she needs to be hit, you hit her. I said, Mama, all the other mothers come in saying, if you touch my daughter, I'll kill you. You come in and you say, if you want to hit her, hit her. Come on, Ma, give me a break. Power. And I'm going to tell you the power a Christian has. He has power to stay pure. To stay clean. Why? Because when we look into his face, when we call on him, when we know him personally, our relationship to him transmits power to us. It does. And it's beautiful because it's not a power that wants to get up and take over the world. It's not a power that wants to be in dominion or authority. 
It's a power that makes you feel confident. It makes you feel secure. It makes you feel good. It makes you know that you know who you have to know to be able to survive in this life. And that's what we're talking about. Now there is the power to be forewarned by God. And I love that. Where God can literally hum into your heart, hum into your heart, hum into your life and tell you don't do this or don't do that. And I'm not talking about uh, good things or bad things. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the nudges of the Holy Ghost. Where maybe you're supposed to go in one direction and God says go in another. Just be obedient. Because there is direction from God. And if God should ever tell you to rest, be obedient, rest. Because sometimes we think we got to go, go, go. You say, oh, sister, but I better got to be on the job. I know that. I'm talking about the times in which you're in control. There are times you're not in control. There are times your boss is in control. There are times your responsibility is in control. There are times your family is in control. I understand that. But in the times that you're in control, in the times that you can do or not do, wait on the nudging of the Spirit. Ask God to give you... You're not going to walk around like a zombie. Which way? Which way? How do I go? No, 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 no. It'll just be clear. It'll be a nudge. It'll be a touch. It'll be something so beautiful. And as you obey it, you'll find out that God keeps you out of a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. And he is so gracious. Now we also have power to cast out Satan. We have power to dismiss him from our presence. We have power to tell him to go. And he's got to obey us. You say, now, hey, I get a little worried about that. Well... You have a right to be worried because that power can only come to those that know him. That power only belongs to those that trust in him. That power only belongs to those that have confessed him as their savior. And we do have power in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that. When you pray for your children as they leave for school, you've got power in your prayer. Lord, cover my children with your precious blood. As you see them grow up and take their independence and walk their own way, there is still power in our prayer. God, cover them wherever they are. Be with them wherever they are. Watch over them wherever they are. You say, but sister, they're not coming to church. They're not here. Hey, I'm talking about power from on high. I'm not talking about things that have happened in our life. I'm talking about who he is and who we are and how we can trust him. Praise his holy name. I thank God because Jesus is the source of power. Power for what, folks? First of all, power to stand for what you believe. Jesus says that even after you've come across Satan, and after you've rebuked him, and after he's gone, the scripture says, then stand. Just stand. Just stand. We've got power to see the unseeable. Once a little child said to me, I want to see the Lord. And I said to the child, if you want to see him strong enough, you will. You will. You will. I think children are the easiest ones in the world to see the Lord. Uh, first of all, I, I know that the Lord has something very... I, the Lord's got a weakness with children. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's got a real weakness with children. There's something about children that, that is his. When, when he puts and lays his whole kingdom on them, it's unbelievable. 
Do not stop them from coming. Suffer not. Do not impede. Don't stand in their way. Let the children come unto me. Then he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's giving it to them. You and I sweat and strain. You and I wonder. You and I sit there and say, you know, we have to deal with the past. We have to deal with the present. We have to deal with the future. And sometimes we don't know if we're coming or going. God looks at the children. He says, they're mine. Hallelujah. I love that. I love that. And then he says, and if anyone doesn't receive the kingdom as a child, he won't even enter it. Because there's a philosophy, a spiritual philosophy about the kingdom. Lest we're like a child, we won't make the kingdom of heaven. And it's not being childish, it's being childlike. The ability to dream and have no one stop that dream. The ability to love and have no shadows on that love. The ability to laugh with an inability to stop. Oh, I love that. Have you seen a kid in a giggling fit? You can't stop them. They're so beautiful. How long has it been since you giggled? Ages, right? Like there's nothing to giggle about. Oh, God help us. To stand on what we believe, to see the unseeable. And guess what? To stand unmoved in a shaking, trembling world. I saw something I'd never seen before in my life. I saw some of the clippage that came in from the Costa Rican earthquake. I, I had seen it this way in, in California. I had seen it as they take aerial pictures, but I'd never seen a camera that went into the opening of the earth till it hit light. Don't ask me what kind of light. In the pictures of the earthquake in Costa Rica, I think it was in the five and the Richter scale or more, and the earth opened up, and there was a cameraman. I said, oh, I, I don't know if he was swallowed up or what. A cameraman took pictures. There was no end to the depth of that crater, that opening. And then I thought of the rebellion of the children of Corey in the wilderness. 25,000 fell into the open craters of a tremendous earthquake in the wilderness for disobeying Moses. And the scripture says that you can hear their screams as they were going to Sheol. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> well, I've got news for you today, folks. It's standing on unshakable ground. We've got that power. When the world is trembling and the world is moving, we're still, we're holding firm. We have an eternal kingdom, unshakable, unmovable. Why? Because when you're into Jesus, you're into power. And if your life doesn't have power, and if your life is a total mess, and you don't feel any sense of victory, you don't feel any sense of togetherness, you need him. And you know what he says? If you call on me, I'll come in. You know why? Because he has compassion for you. And guess what? The simplest word in the dictionary. He wants to help you.
Would you accept his help? He wants to give it to you.